This is Dave Doggett, and you're listening to the Maritime Outdoorsman Podcast, Episode 16. Hey there, thanks again for tuning in, and uh, today I'm connecting with uh, a friend who I've never met actually in person. Um, we've connected on social media. I've been following his progress through the uh, fly fishing world, if you will. And uh, so I decided to connect with Chris Sinclair to get a younger perspective on the sport uh, and kind of dig into uh, how he became involved with fly fishing and some other interesting tidbits that he's going to share with us. So I'm going to get Chris on the line and uh, jump right into it. And remember, if you want to follow along with the show notes, just go to MaritimeOutdoorsman.com slash 016 for episode 16. Hello. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Good. Where are you from? I'm from Sherbrooke, Nova Scotia. Okay. So did you start off with a fly rod in your hand or no? No, I started out uh, fishing gear when I was probably like nine or ten years old with my father, just going probably four or five times a year and going for mackerel and stuff like that. Yeah. And really started getting into fishing when I was like, I don't know, 14, I'd say. Right, right. And then within a year, I started, within my first year, really getting into fishing, I uh, took an interest in um fly fishing uh because i live along the banks of the saint mary's river so yeah i kind of kind of wanted to fish the river and you can only fish the river with a with a fly rod where at least where i live anyway so sure yeah no that's i mean that's fairly common when it comes to a lot of the rivers on the mainland um what um so at the time that we're talking right now how old are you i'm uh, 20 years old okay and yep. I think I was, I think I saw online you were, were you, were you going to school in Prince Edward Island? Yeah, yeah, no, I was, uh, I'm just about, I'm going to graduate May 21st uh, of uh, of this year from Holland College. Nice. Yeah. And uh, so, how long were you over there? Uh, two years, it's a two-year program, so, okay. and then you can do... Uh, Transfer credits with UPEI or UNB Fredericton. So mm -hmm. I'm going to go to UNB Fredericton next year for two or three years. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's to get a bachelor. Get a bachelor's of science. Ah, nice. And yeah. uh, no, no shortage of places to fish up around there. No, no, no. I have lots of friends up there too. So lots yeah. of invites to go salmon fishing and mm. muskie, even muskies up there and everything. So. Yeah, yeah, muskies. Um, Actually, uh, I don't know if it'll be before I air this episode or not, but uh, I'm going to be talking with uh, one of my close friends. I'm going to have him on an episode, and he's he's been extremely heavily involved with the musky end of things and just to kind of get some information on uh, on those. I've never caught one myself. I've done a lot of fishing up there, but I see there's a, there's even a lot of a strong interest in... Uh, in fly fishing for them, you know, so. Yeah. So, um, do you, you do a lot of fly tying as well? Mostly, 
fly, tie flies a lot. Um, I usually don't. I just usually tie flies for stress relief and <laughs> and just to try new patterns out. And um, I do a little bit of sale of flies, but I'm not don't market myself. No, I I do some fly tying, but primarily for the fall salmon because uh, the uglier the better, really. Yeah. So. No. Uh, yeah, that's true. When it comes to it, down to it, yeah, you're right. So Sherbrooke, you you've spent pretty well most of your life right around Sherbrooke or in that area. Um, I live in a little community called Stillwater. It's the next little community north on the number seven towards Anakinish. So okay. Right around the Ford Pool area on the St. Mary's. So nice. Yeah, I've done. I haven't actually fished the St. Mary's. Um, at all, but um, I've spent a lot of time in Antigonish and up on the West River up there, and uh, years ago on the South River, got into some uh, some of the rainbows uh, in there, And uh, but my most memorable salmon fishing experience was um, was one day on the on the West Antigonish where I, I caught and released uh, four. Yeah, there's some awesome, awesome water up there. Do you, do you, uh, spend most of your time um, chasing trout or salmon or just kind of divide it up through the season? Most of my time is um, usually just fishing trout. Um, I have a real kind of thing for uh, uh, stained waters and brook trout, like that dark kind of tannic water. Right, right. Um, yeah, and but I do do some tr- uh, salmon fishing too. Um, I do fish up around Antigonish a lot. I think last year I put a lot of time in in Antigonish, uh, the Ohio, the the West Antigonish, the South, mm-hmm. um, just kind of exploring new territory and catching some, I don't know, twenty plus inch brook trout is always fun too. Awesome, so. yeah. Now once they get, once they get over fifteen, sixteen inches, they're they're a whole a whole other beast. Yeah, <clears throat> I actually got out yesterday. Um, I was just fishing some small streams since the main rivers aren't open. Well, West River and Ganesh isn't open until the 15th of May, but I think the south is open April 15th. Mm-hmm. But I'm just fishing uh, a large tributary to the St. Mary's. I don't know if you're familiar with Lock Harbor Lakes. I I have heard of it, yeah. Yeah, it's up there. Well, it drains out of that, and there's another lake down below. It's about two kilometers long. It drains out of that. Mm-hmm. And there's a pool down there. I went, I don't know, it was about five thirty, six o'clock last night, and I went down and... Uh, Got some nice, like twelve-inch, thirteen-inch trout, but they're fat. They're really oh, fat, yeah. which is surprising. I guess it's because the ice went out so early this year, and they, the hatch, the hatches are a little bit earlier. So yeah, I've noticed a couple, couple small, <clears throat> small hatches down here. I'm on the south shore down around Bridgewater, so are. Oh, are you? The, I didn't know. I yeah. thought you were right in, uh, right in Halifax there. No, I grew up in Halifax, and uh, and I, you know, I did most of my fishing. My early fishing days was around Halifax, and then. Um, I, uh, my dad took me out trout fishing or at least we tried and neither one of us knew a whole lot about it. He did some growing up down here further on the South shore, but when there, when, you know, acid rain wasn't such a factor and yeah, uh, yeah. There, there was better fishing. So he and his dad, he and my grandfather got some good fishing in, but, um, you know, it's, it's changed a lot, um, down in these parts, uh, you know, it's, the northern shore is much more fortunate, um, and uh, for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, uh, there's been less acid rain impact up there, but um, you know we do have uh, you know invasive species epidemic going on from you know s- south of Halifax. But um, 
I, uh, yeah, I started, uh, once we, we dabbled in trout, um, close to the Halifax area and didn't have a whole lot of luck. Then I, um, my grandparents actually lived in another, my mother's parents lived down near Digby and, oh, yeah. and one day we were going down there, uh, actually we were on our way home and there was this campground, um, at the, uh, the power plant in Annapolis Royal and they had these photo albums of these monster striped bass that people were catching. So I, uh, my father and I instantly uh, decided we were going to be doing that. And yeah. it, it's all, you know, it was all gear because when you're fishing high, heavy tides and the, the strong currents all around the causeway down there. And yeah. um, <clears throat> so we got into that and uh, we did that really heavy for... I think probably close to 10 years, uh, you know, through the summers and we'd go down there and fish for two or three days straight. And, uh, and we had, we had lots of luck and, you know, there wasn't, there's not much catch and release in those days. Uh, you were allowed two fish a day and, um, it wasn't that uncommon for, for, uh, somebody to, to catch two a day. And they, those fish averaged, you know, between 10 and 30, 40 pounds. We had a couple, uh, we had a couple fantastic days where we each caught, you know, a 30 or 40 pounder and, and, uh, anyway, things have changed a lot down there with, um, you know, I think it's a lot of different factors, but it's, uh, there's definitely some impact from the farming and the farms and the fertilizers and stuff going in and oh, cha- definitely. Cha- I've heard that, you know, you can, uh, I, you know, nobody c- should quote me on this, but I've heard that you can take, uh, eggs uh, from stripe striped bass eggs from the Annapolis River, and uh, take them into other waters, and they'll they'll hatch fine. But if they stay in the Annapolis, the you know they just they don't come to be. So yeah, it's, uh, well it's look un- at look at look at PEI. I spent the last two years in PEI, and just the, the industrial farming over there has just totally destroyed a lot of watersheds. Yeah. Um, Wildlife populations and the river, the, the rivers themselves. Well, it's kind of the same thing when it comes to Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. Not as not as recent, but the log drives and logging industry. Well, I guess logging industry now is still like the clear cuts and mm-hmm. the biomass and all yeah. that sort. But the issue on my river mostly, like historically, was the log drives just totally destroying the edges of the river and yeah. airing, or, uh, widening the channel and creating uh, really shallow spots for the water to warm up and uh, right. just. It's pretty crazy. So, um, you're down in Bridgewater too. Um, is that Bridgewater? Is that Lahave River? Is that where it's at? Yeah, the Lahave, which used to be, you know, right up into the the late '80s, used to be the the prominent salmon river in the province, right? Yeah. Um, and um, it, it was, you know, I never. That was before my fly fishing days, so I never got to experience it, but. Um, you know, I've, I've got a lot of, a lot of people I know down here who used to do it. I was part of the, uh, LaHave River Salmon Association. And, uh, so I've got to hear a lot of the stories and I don't know, it's just a shame, but, um, you know, it's a, yeah, it's just a sad state. There's just so many things going against it. Um, uh, there's still some fish go up the river I mean, they have a counter on one branch of the river and, you know, there's, yeah, it fluctuates year to year, but it's not, it's not very significant at all. I didn't really come down here to fish. Um, there's a lot of fishing. We do, you know, we do a, quite a bit of, uh, of bass fishing, and I do a fair amount of it with fly rod. 
Um, I mean, you, like, you, you mean smallmouth bass? Smallmouth, yeah. There used to be a good striped bass population here, I guess, in the Lahave as well in the estuary, but that's long gone as well. But yeah, primarily, you know, I mean, the what we have access to down here is, you know, some trout fishing. You've got to really dig and, you know, pick your spots accordingly. Um, and then you've got, you know, pretty well, you know, smallmouth in most of the lakes around here, which, you know, it provides lots of good action for kids and people who aren't, you know, aren't necessarily concerned about what they're going for. But, uh, the smallmouth thing, I'll do some fishing for like invasives, uh, yeah. in the HR, HRM mostly actually mm-hmm. only. There's a few places around here that have chain pickerel and have smallmouth bass that I have angled in, but mm-hmm. I haven't, I don't. If I'm going to go smallmouth bass or chain pickerel fishing, it's going to be an HRM like Grand Lake or yeah. um, it's another one, Morris Lake. Yeah, Morris yeah. has a good population of all that stuff. I mean, what a lot of people don't realize is that um, smallmouth, at least, I'm not sure about chain pickerel, but I know at least smallmouth, they were, you know, the the, the province um, stocked yeah. a few lakes many years ago, right? Like. 50s. Yeah, it was in like the early 40s, exactly, I believe. Exactly, like 60 years ago. And, and, um, and they all came They all came from New Brunswick, I'm pretty sure. Like Lake Utopia, I think, mostly they came from there. Yeah, I think, somewhere. The, yeah, I think there was something, uh, something with that lake. And then they were put in, there was one prominent lake down in the valley. I think it was called Elliott Lake. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was Elliott Lake. And, um, and then they... They did put them in a few more places from there legally, and then of course you know they bucket brigade, yeah, yeah, they've gotten around, and uh, um, it's uh, you know I don't really know what to fully make of it. I mean, I did uh, you know after the striped bass fascination that I had, and then they kind of fizzled out. Um, you know, we we got introduced to smallmouth bass fishing and didn't really understand the concept of. Uh, that they were, uh, you know, that they're invasive and, uh, you know, they have been moved around and whatnot, but the opportunities were there when you, and when, you know, like for, for where I lived in Halifax, if you wanted to get out fishing for a couple hours, that was really your option. Right. So, so we, uh, we got into, we got into it pretty hard. Uh, my father and I, we actually did tournaments for 10, 11 years. And, uh, I kind of, got into fishing a bit backwards to the way that most do and that you know I I started with big game uh, striped bass got into smallmouth and then uh, ended up moving to Picto for a couple years just due to uh, a work situation and um, and while we were living there I just I I was like man I live up here I've got access to these rivers there's trout and salmon um, you know, I, so I, I had some good friends up there and they showed me where to go and what to do. And it was just, it was awesome. We're definitely lucky up here on the North shore and mm-hmm. Northeastern Nova Scotia to have what we have here for now. Anyways, yeah. uh, it's the, um, invasion of, uh, smallmouth bass and chain pickerel move, uh, east. They're already in Cape Breton now. And we're just lucky that we don't, we don't really have them in my area of the Eastern shore anyways. Mm. Um, we have them in Picto County. I did a a trip to uh, Lake Ainsley a number of years ago with uh, a biologist uh, friend of mine and some other people, and we we essentially went up to um, to see what it was like. Uh, you know, having that we uh, he he and I both had a lot of stripe or a lot of smallmouth bass experience uh, fishing, and um, 
And what we did, what he came up with was a, um, a feed the, uh, feed the hungry deal. So we went up. That would be Eddie, would it? Yeah, it was Eddie. Yeah. Yeah. So we went up and we did that. And I mean, it was surprising the, uh, the, the quality of the fish up there. Uh, we could, we did catch some trout at the same time, but we also hit it, you know, we knew to hit it at the right time when they were uh, right around pre-spawn. And, um, it was, uh, like, you know, I can't remember exactly how many fish we caught, but we definitely fed some people and, uh, but it was, it was surprising because I remember a long time ago, even department of fisheries, um, just, you know, even though they had heard that they had been stocked up there, they didn't think that they would. Uh, be able to reproduce successfully because of the frost-free days, right? Yeah. And uh, they definitely did. I don't know, you know, I, I haven't heard any stories of them spreading out beyond that particular body of water up there, but, uh, you know, where it's connected to the to the marguerite, there's always... I've heard they, they were caught in them forks before. Oh, really? Okay. That, they said bass, but that could have been stripers too. Yeah, yeah, they do get some stripers uh, in the lower parts of the marguerite, that's for sure. But, you know, it is possible where Ainsley does connect. And, um, you know, I, I, like I say, I don't know, you know, I'm not sure what to suggest to people, you know, other than don't move them around and, you know, be, be cautious of that. But, uh, as far as an opportunity to get out and get introduced to fishing, I, I don't know. I, personally, I mean, I think anything you can catch to pull your line and, and get your interest in it is a good thing. And then if, you, uh, if you're able to pick and choose, you know, your interest from there, that's, that's all well and good. Yeah, no, I agree uh, completely on that. It's just the fact where it comes down to uh, human benefit and then actually wildlife benefit yeah. or wildlife well-being and native species in my opinion over uh, overshadow the uh, the invasive species so yeah. I'm not saying to kill all invasive species but I think uh, protection should be more focused towards uh, um, more focused towards native species such as like even the speckled trout because like speckled trout Atlantic salmon or brook trout Atlantic salmon are the only really native um, like game fish that anyone targets here so yeah the rainbows and browns are in, in, introduced so mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yeah that's right a lot of people don't even realize that uh they think you know they automatically think when they catch a trout that it's it's all uh it's it's all native and you know then there's the whole brown browns are pretty um pretty invasive in themselves yeah definitely they are um but i think um I think the brands have uh, become found Nova Scotia more of a home than the rainbows have, anyways. Right. When it comes to reproducing, when it comes to reproducing. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Did you uh, did you do any speckled trout fishing in in Prince Edward Island? Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, didn't do a lot last fall, but I did quite a bit uh, the fall previous. Um, mm-hmm. They have some big big brook trout over there. Yeah. Uh, um, I think my biggest might have been like I think around twenty twenty one inches. Wow, that's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and it's really nice. I get over there this year. Um, the fish are really pressured over there, especially uh, in the summer with the low water. So they're really, uh, really iffy on taking really anything because they've seen pretty much everything in everyone's fly box. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I've been doing some check nymphing, and I did some competition nymphing in the past. Um, I went to Canadian Nationals in in 2012 in uh, Quebec, and 
that's what um, most common practice there is uh, European style nymphing or competition nymphing with barbless hooks and weighted nymphs and multi-fly rigs anyways. So I took that knowledge from there and applied it, well, I applied it to PEI. And I found that some uh, like number 16, number 18, really slim body nymphs with tungsten beads um, and just put them in front of them with a, just in that same competition style and those fish could refuse several different patterns and then take that in the first chance it goes by so hmm. that's what i that's what i did when i had a chance to fish over there in some places nice yeah i haven't i haven't had a chance to really uh go at go at it over there as far as finding some fish i've had a few opportunities to go over it just hasn't worked out but i remember um when i was in junior high, I think it was, we went over there for a class trip to Green Gables. And even walking around the Green Gables property, I saw these brooks just packed with trout. And I was losing my mind. I had no fishing rod, right? And uh, But maybe talk a little more about this competition, uh, nymphing competition. I, I, don't, I haven't really even heard of that. How, how did that work? Well, um, it was probably in 2012. I was just getting into fly fishing and uh, really... Uh, posting a lot of stuff on social media about fishing and stuff like that. And I was recognized by a fellow youth member, um, which the team I became to be on was the Youth Canadian Fly Fishing Team. I was approached by him to, within a week, I had to make a decision whether to go to Nationals or not because they needed one more competitor for the team. And I, uh, of course, I said yes. And I went out there and it was in Mont-Tremblant, in Quebec, and... We fished for a week. We did some practice fishing, and then basically it's set up in different sessions. I think there was uh, four or five different sessions, like three lake sessions and, and two two river sessions or something like that. And uh, basically um, there's different teams. Uh, could be any amount of teams in the nationals, and there's usually five or six people on a team, and they all compete. Um, and whoever finishes, I think it's it's a... It's the most fish in a certain amount of time, and then it's put into um, a score calculator. They have a program on the inter- on the computer there, and then basically it's all brought down to statistics, and um, comes out whoever's on top wins. And then I took that knowledge and my experience there, and partnered with uh, a guy from uh, Andy Ganesh, he's a professor at Santa Vax, Ken McCauley, who does who's very interested in competition style and competition nymphing who's been all over the world practicing and um, competing in competitions we partnered up and created a, a league of our own here in Nova Scotia which is kind of put on the wayside this past two years but our first two years we did uh, some competitions some uh, lock style fishing so um, lake fishing from boats in a certain way that they do in Europe which mm. is the um, competition style lake fishing, I guess you could say in layman's terms. And then we did some river sessions um, throughout northeastern Nova Scotia. And since I had to go to college and mm. Ken obviously has work of his own, we focused on getting the youth into it really and uh, introducing youth into fly fishing um, and more importantly competition style uh, fly fishing and the whole essence behind that nice 
And then this season, I got invited to go to uh, the Nationals again, but unfortunately I cannot uh, attend due to um, school, mm -hmm. uh, university in the fall, so I'm sure that would be a nice experience as well. Did you guys actually create a, a, a non-profit group or something around this, or is there is there a place where interested youth could go to find out more information? Yeah, there's a, a Facebook page. Um, I believe it's just called Nova Scotia Fly Fishing League, um, and we post updates whenever we can, whenever anything happens. Um, That'd be great. I mean, because, you know, there's no shortage of other sports and activities to, to compete in, so, you know, why not uh, why not fly fishing? And uh, um, what I'll do is, after... Uh, after we're done, I'll we'll find the link and I'll include I'll include the link in the show notes, and that way, you know, anybody can just look up the episode and and click on the link that way. Yeah, and there's lots of different uh, organizations that's uh, linked within us. Like there's different like there's Eastern Canadian uh, Competition Fly Fishing League and uh, a bunch of different other groups that do this. But I think the biggest uh, thing is trying to get um, the public knowledge about. Um, the league itself and the total experience and what it is to fly fish in a competition. Mm -hmm. um, it's really based out of Anaganish because Ken's right. out of Anaganish, but right. we have a, a pretty large um, following on the Facebook page. Cool. Uh, we got 466 total page likes. Wow, that's uh, good. It sounds interesting, and if... Uh... Yeah, even if somebody can just go and, and like the Facebook page, we'll put a link in. And then if down the road you guys do anything more with it or somebody else does, then, uh, of course, they can they can see what's going on and, and get into it if they want. So we had some, we had a, a few just mock competitions uh, after our real competitions just to show people and teach people about the uh, competition style and mm -hmm. the rules and regulations beyond that because there's a... Um, a regulation that's so it's called Phipps Moosh, and it's um, it's just the regulations of competition angling in uh, in Canada that we have to follow for all competitions. So there's different um, you're not allowed a certain amount of knots on a leader or a certain amount of flies, a certain bead size. It's very um, it's kind of like international rules for all competition to uh, make the playing field quite even for everyone. Sure. Sure. No, that makes sense. Absolutely. No, that's fascinating because, um, you know, I think that would be a great a great thing and a great gateway even for perhaps youth who don't even know much about fishing but may like the competition side. And then, you know, of course, once they get a, a rod in their hand, they uh, they may, you know, they may become heavily involved in all ways. So um, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll definitely include some information uh, on the show notes uh, about that. So, just a couple more, uh, couple more points I want to touch on uh, for this episode. But I mean, you're you're uh, you're a young guy, so chances are, um, you know, once school's finished up, but dep depending on what you're doing and and uh, what direction you head in, I'm sure you know there'll be lots of other things we can uh, get you back on future episodes for. But um, something that I'm going to start asking a lot of my uh, guests on the show is if you had one fly to use only, I'm going to say fly for you because I know you're a fly fisherman primarily, um, you know, from spring right till fall for 
I guess, you know, your, your primary species is trope, but, um, you know, so it could be a favorite trope fly and then a favorite salmon fly. What would those be? Um, my favorite trout fly would definitely have to be a hothead bugger. Just basically a woolly bugger with some flat black woolly bugger, uh, flash in the tail and a pretty large tungsten uh bead in the front mm-hmm. in hot orange. And I tell you like I fished yesterday and I couldn't get anything else um to take. Uh couldn't get any other fish mm-hmm. to take any other fly but that one, so nice. I guess that just goes but yeah, it's fish fish is well right from April first to September thirtieth. So excellent. Maybe we can yeah. stick a picture up in the show notes too. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely do that. But uh, salmon fly. See, I don't fish a lot of salmon. Mm-hmm. Um, I do fish some, but probably my favorite salmon fly um, probably would be just a black and blue marabou for the fall. Right on. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, it's probably pretty standard fly for everyone, and uh, a yeah. hot Scotty works pretty well. Hot Scotty works pretty well too. Yeah, so. I remember. I remember being up in the Anaganish area when I first heard about that fly sort of coming to be. And uh, personally, I've uh, had ex- most of my success, believe it or not, with just uh, a variation of the Mickey fin. Uh, yeah, no, I heard, I heard, heard that works well. Yeah, but um, no, that's cool. Um, now we'll just end on like, what's your most memorable fishing experience? Mm, let me think for a second here. Sure. <laughs> hey man, I, no worries at all. I try to make every experience in the outdoors memorable. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my main goal is when I go outside, I try to do everything and plan things to make it memorable. And everything is important to me when I go in the woods. So look at the trees, look at mm-hmm. the uh, the ferns, the, the grasses, and, of course, the fish. Um but probably my most memorable experience was um, the long weekend of May last year. Um, I took my, me and my father went out fly fishing for an overnight trip and a set of still waters, which always has some nice trout in them. Um, just kind of taking him to these places, mm-hmm. uh, since he doesn't get out much, because um, he works all the time. But right. Taking him to these places where I go by myself or with other people, and just kind of showing him how important, how awesome these places are. Um, that pictures just don't do justice, or videos just don't do justice. And no. getting getting him into some fish, and yeah, we, we usually don't keep fish, but I uh, but I kept we kept two for supper. So yeah, nothing wrong uh, with that. Yeah, no, as, as long as you uh, use the resource sustainably and uh, don't abuse it, and I think. Um, Everyone's going to be happy. I think uh, you're not going to um, make too many people upset by keeping keeping a few fish, and you're not going to um, not going to hurt anything by releasing anything properly. So no, exactly, exactly. No, I I'm I'm a catch and release angler myself. I'm not a you know if I'm going to eat fish, I actually prefer um, you know like a, a piece of salmon from out west or uh, or a piece of halibut or something like that. But there are some people that really enjoy, you know, a freshly caught brook trout, and I don't hold that against them. But, uh, of course, you know, these... It can be the extreme, you know. I'm sure we've all seen these pictures of tailgates full of, of, you know, of trout and whatnot, and uh, that's a shame, but... Yeah, uh, I mean, mean, 
when it comes down to it, as long I think I think as long as they uh, eat them and don't they don't go to waste, I don't really see a huge issue with that. But it's still um, kind of abusing the resource if you're taking fifteen fish out of a spawning population for a small stream. I think that's a little little too fair. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree with that. Um, yeah. Well, thanks for uh, you know making the time to have a chat about this today and um i'm sure i'm sure there'll be a, a number of people that find the information valuable and uh we'll keep in touch and and definitely uh, follow what you're up to that going to labrador uh this summer to uh, work as a guide that's got to be pretty exciting yeah I'm, I'm pretty uh pretty excited it's gonna be a great experience uh i want to thank you for giving the offer giving me the opportunity to talk as well i i always like to uh try to inspire people and give as much information to the public as I can to inspire them to go outside and just enjoy what we have in Nova Scotia. Awesome. Um, you know, it, it's true. I mean, you know, we can look at all the, all the nice pictures and posts that we see online and, uh, and that's one thing, but I, there is something to, to hearing somebody actually tell, and you can hear it in the tone of their voice that they've got a passion for these things, and I think it just it just creates a whole new level of uh, of reality. So uh, I I appreciate the time, and um, yeah, that's great. Thanks. So that was Chris Sinclair, um, dedicated young fly angler. Um, really refreshing to talk to somebody like that uh, at the time of this broadcast. He's just 20 years old. You know, he's got his whole life ahead of him. Um, it's really nice to hear of p young people getting into the sport and the outdoors. And you can tell that Chris has a real passion just for the outdoors in general. Um, so again, if you want to uh, reach out to Chris or uh, just check up on any of the things that we highlighted in this episode, just go to MaritimeOutdoorsMan.com slash 016 for episode 16. Uh, I'll also put out there that if you're looking to take any online courses related to the outdoors, such as the boating exam, uh, ATV certification courses, snowmobile, uh, there's even online hunting courses that you can take, just go to maritimeoutdoorsman.com courses, and that will take you to the page on our website where you can then find the appropriate course links. Uh, and again, those are affiliate links, so should you take those courses, um, that will ultimately benefit the, uh, the cause of this podcast. So just a couple more things that I want to mention. Uh, first of all, if you're interested in being a featured guest on an upcoming episode, by all means, just go to MaritimeOutdoorsMan.com and click the contact uh, link. I think there's a form in the About page. Uh, additionally, if you enjoy the show and you want to give us a good rating on iTunes or any other podcasting network, that will help the show out immensely. It'll boost the ratings, and uh, we appreciate that immensely. Um, also, if you have a question that you would like featured on the show, uh, by all means, reach out to us as well. Again, you can find links to everything and how to reach me directly on MaritimeOutdoorsMan.com. I appreciate you, and uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.